You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is The Milkman. I uh, found a lot of jokes about milkmen, and we're not telling any of those. (laughs) Turn to 1 Corinthians. So this is going to be a little encouraging, maybe a little discouraging, and maybe a little explanatory. A Christian is not someone who grew up in church. A Christian is not someone who knows things about God. A Christian is not someone who is religious, someone who tries to do the right thing, that is moral, ethical, abides by the law, is nice to old ladies. All those things can be fine, but a Christian specifically is someone who has come to the place in their life where they understand, I cannot save myself. I will never be good enough. If I could be good enough, then why did Jesus come in the first place? Keep him in heaven, I'll make it anyway without him. So you finally get to the place where you say, I got nothing. Without him, I can do nothing. And the whole purpose for Easter, the whole purpose for his coming, to seek and to save that which was lost, is that he came so that you'd come to the place where you would say, okay, God, I get it. If eternal life is described as a gift in the Bible, you're offering it to me under those conditions, so I say, I accept this gift. I am not offering you anything in exchange for the gift, because the nature of a gift is you take it, you receive it, and you have it, and that's that. Then things come out of having that gift, but don't... I just talked to a lot of people and I say, are you a Christian? Oh yeah, I'm a, you know, my favorite is, I'm American, right? Silent A, I'm American. All Americans are Christians, right? That's not true. Well, I grew up in the church. Being born in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian, my dad used to say, any more than being born in a garage makes you a car. You say, but my mom and dad were Christians. That does not make you a Christian, okay? So you think, well, I've figured out my own, there is no other way but Jesus. And these things get really, really narrow. I had this conversation with a guy the other day and he was upset. You know, there's gotta be all these different, all these roads. All roads do lead to God, but only one road leads to heaven. Everybody's gonna face God, but there's only one road to heaven and that's Jesus, okay? So if you listen to that and you go, but wait a minute, I was told this or that, I recommend you read your Bible and find out what God said, not what somebody else told you. And make sure what you believe is based on truth, not on conjecture, not on something you came up with to make yourself feel better about not knowing what's up. So 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to these people and just, you know, you say, well, if I read the Bible, it looks like there's just a lot of screwed up people. There are, there were, there are, there are always gonna be. And you wouldn't even have half of the New Testament if it weren't for screwed up Christians specifically. You know, you can't sleep with your father's wife. You think, well, everybody knows that. Somebody was doing that, so it gets addressed. So if you think your life's messy, read the Bible, you might feel a little better. So in 1 Corinthians chapter one, he addresses pretty early divisions, arguments, disputes, like there's something going on, and then starts to talk about the difference between a spiritual person 
and a Christian. Okay, so let's move over, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm actually going to read you a good bit of this, so just follow along with me. He says, and I, brethren, so when you see the word brethren, you say, what does that mean? It means brothers and sisters in Christ, these are Christians. He said, I, and this is Paul writing to them, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So if you read the Bible and you see where God has written half the New Testament, a ton of the epistles, you know, a bunch of stuff written through Paul, you can figure out pretty quick, he's pretty smart. And I think sometimes people say, well, don't you know any big words? Why don't you use bigger words and, you know, sound more intelligent? I'm not interested in you being wowed by words. I'm interested in you being wowed by the fact that the Spirit of God shows up and the power of God is manifest and you see change and you know that he is with us and when you become a Christian, he's in us and that's what you're impressed with. So he says, I didn't come with all that. Verse six, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So if Pilate had known that Jesus was God, he would not have been able to string him up. If Herod had known, if the Jews who really ultimately were screaming crucify, if they had known this is your Messiah, it wouldn't have happened. But they couldn't see it. They couldn't hear it. They didn't get it. And then this verse 9, which a lot of people quote this verse, talking about heaven. This is not about heaven. He says, but as it is written, quoting here from the Old Testament, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So here's your dilemma. You, if you're a human being, you're alive, you look around, you see certain things. You live in a physical world, and so you have experiences in the physical world. What you completely miss are the things that God is trying to reveal to you that you can only pick up with spiritual senses. So you will completely miss what God is doing in the world and how he's trying to operate, not just in your life, but through your life, if you are just a natural man, just a human being with no connection with God, it's just you living in you, and God is not resident in your body, in your life, okay? So you read the Bible, and some people say, I read the Bible, I don't get anything out of it. You have to have the Spirit of God living in you for the Word of God to make sense the way it's intended. And then God starts to show you amazing, mind-boggling things. And you say, what are you talking about? I can't even explain it to you, because if I explain it to you, you won't get it unless you're a Christian and you begin to grow and see what's up. So keep reading. God has revealed in us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So let me, this is why I go back to making sure you know what a Christian is. If you are searching for God, if you are wanting to know his will for your life in the world, if you're trying to make sense of it, you cannot, does everybody hear all the music playing right now in this room? I hear rock and roll, there's a little Led Zeppelin, I hear that, I hear some classical music. He said, what are you talking about, dude? This room is filled with music. Now, how is that possible? Why can't you hear the music? What do you need to hear the music that's in this room? Has anybody figured out what I'm talking about yet? There are radio stations broadcasting right now simultaneously on all kind of frequencies. Why can't you hear? Why can't I hear all that music? I have no receiver. Now, you give me a little radio, a little receiver, where I can turn the dial and tune into those stations, and just like that, I'm tapping into all the music that's in this room right now. Multiple, multiple stations. So the question is, are you a receiver? Do you have a receiver? If you're not a Christian, you got no receiver. And the only way to become a Christian is to become a receiver of his gift. So you say, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand the world. I don't get what all this is. And maybe I'm never going to understand everything, but there's got to be more to my life than going to work, chasing women, doing drugs, trying to get drunk, trying to have power, trying to have a bigger house, nicer car, impress other people, pride, greed, whatever this is. There's got to be more to life than this or I'm out. And he says, well, how about me? Pick me. And then you get him, you receive him, now you have him in you, you have a receiver so that you can tune into that frequency and all of a sudden the music that was there all the time, you hear, you get, and you go, my gosh, there's so much going on. It was here all the time, I just didn't have a way to pick it up. Verse 14 again, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, okay? So he sets it up. If you have a natural mind, meaning you're not a Christian, you don't even hear this stuff. But once you become a Christian, you should, it's not should, you can hear what God is trying to communicate. And primarily he communicates through the scriptures. Why do we pound it so hard? Why do I read so much scripture to you? There are some people who have grown up in church and say they never read the Bible. No one read the Bible. We weren't encouraged to read the Bible. The Bible is food. Scripture is food to a believer like milk and meat are to a human being. You have to have nourishment. Now let's go to chapter 3. So he's laid all this out. Then in chapter 3, and I, he says, brethren. So he's still talking to these people that are Christians. He said, I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. And it's very fascinating that those two things are one thing. So you have natural people, non-believers, people who are not Christians. Then you have another category, it seems, there are carnal Christians. But the way this is described, that an infant Christian is a carnal Christian. Now, what does that mean? Does anybody have any experience with becoming a Christian and everything not being perfect immediately? Right? So you say, well, I became a Christian. Literally, God himself moves in my body, 
I got a receiver, I received him, I have a receiver, and I'm doing the same old that I was doing before. What is that? That's a carnal Christian. I don't want to live this way. Good for you. So what does a church do? We don't act surprised. Stop being surprised that newborns fill diapers with crap. Well, this ain't right. I didn't sign up for this. What did you think was going to happen? Now, if that's going on in a four-year-old, in a six-year-old, in a 10-year-old, in a 20-year-old, something has gone terribly wrong because you're not supposed to be generating that kind of mess. So something is not working. But in the beginning, it's going to be really, really, really messy. So I want to encourage you, listen closely, if you're a newborn Christian, I want to encourage you that it is going to take some time to move you from being an infant, carnal Christian, to up and running where you're mature. But if you have been an infant Christian for 10, 20, 30 years, it's not working. That is not what's intended. And so part of what he addresses some of this here with these people, and I'll give you the specific thing he's after. So brethren, I cannot speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, which is appropriate with a newborn. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, nothing heavy duty beyond, you know, I met a two-year-old here today. And I said, do you know your ABCs? And he, yes, you know, he knew a little bit about that. You know what? I'm not going to say, well, have you considered calculus yet? right? What does a two-year-old know about calculus? You know, why would you even ask that? Exactly. So you don't broach subjects with newborns, but you do feed them something. You give them something. But the assumption is if we get them milk, we get them up and running, they're going to have an appetite. Some teeth are going to come in that's painful for them, but also for the mother feeding them. And that's part of the way you transition. Okay, verse two, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, and that's the problem. You're still not able, why? For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Like, what are we doing? Now you say, well, but little kids can argue and fight and all that. Yeah, okay, little kids, but you got to grow up. You can't live the rest of your life that way. And look at what he describes here, envy. When are you going to get over your envy? Well, that's not fair. Why do they get to live in that house? And I married this guy and we live in a dump. That sounds like contentment. Just arguing about silly things. You know what? The world does that. Who needs Jesus for that? That's just what we do, like just natural people. That's just what goes on. He's like, what is going on? I'm not going to be the milkman forever. And you can't be a milkman forever either or a milkwoman forever. Now, here's what they were arguing about. And this is so silly, it's almost stupid. For when one says, well, I got saved under Paul. And another one says, I am of Apollos, and Apollos was a Jewish guy that became a Christian, very articulate, was instrumental in the church at Ephesus and Corinth, getting those churches established, so maybe he brings it, and people are saved under Apollos. Well, whatever, you Paul, but I'm Apollos. Like, this is silliness. I mean, it's like growing up, like, my dad's bigger than your dad, and you know, when I grew up, that was actually true. My dad was bigger than everybody's dad, so not much envy there. I win every time. Six, nine, dad. But he's saying, you're just behaving like mere men. You say, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? In other words, that's not what this is about. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? And by the way, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
he addressed this a little bit in the first chapter. Verse 10, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those at Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this to each of you who says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, throws in Peter, Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Like, what are you talking about? Now you say, but little kids argue and squabble. You can't be a little kid forever. Now I'm not, and I hit this hard, I know, because I grew up in a situation where it was one big giant nursery, it seemed, all the time. This should not be possible. Churches have nurseries, they shouldn't be nurseries, and the whole room is full of infants for indefinitely. So you say, well, I don't know where I stand. Yes, you do. Is your life eaten up with envy, strife, these things that he describes here? Mere men, divisions. So keep reading. Who then is Paul? Who's Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. This is how silly this is. Oh, I was saved under the preaching of Pastor Richard Ellis. So what? So that's where you heard it. So God may have used me. That doesn't make me better or any different. I'm just one person in the vineyard here. I'm just a worker in the farm, right? Well, but you planted. Yeah, but there ain't no crop if somebody's not watering. If somebody didn't harvest it and God's the one that gives the increase, nothing's gonna happen without him anyway. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. What does that mean? Nobody's better than anybody else. Nobody's more important. We're just, it's all one effort. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it was. So you say, well, will I get some kind of reward for doing the right thing? Absolutely. But if you build with the wrong materials that are not fireproof, it's going to burn up. Now, this is partly, you say, well, you warn people that there's a real heaven, a real hell, and you want people to become Christians. I got a second warning. You will stand before Christ as a believer and give an account for the deeds done in the flesh. Not good works to get you into heaven, but good works that affect your conversation with Jesus on the way in. So there's a motivation to grow up already, to say nothing of the mess you're making in your own life and the people around you. So look at this, how this goes down. Each one's become clear. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But look at this. But he himself will be saved yet as though through fire. So if you're a Christian, you're a Christian. But let me say this as gently as I can. And I'm not trying to create doubt in anybody's mind. If you are a Christian and you live indefinitely in sin, I'm talking about decades of this. I'm not saying somebody can't prodigal son it and be gone, but the prodigal son story ends by the prodigal son coming to himself and going home. 
You say, well, I, I don't even understand what you're talking about still. Here's where I would start. I would say, Lord, how is it possible for me to live like hell so long and claim to be a Christian? So let's have a little conversation. And if you'd like to have that conversation, I'd be happy to sit down with you. Because at some point, it is not possible to live like hell indefinitely and claim you're a Christian. Because the Holy Spirit of God that moved in you, that created the whole universe, when he goes to work, he finishes what he starts. So why is he not able to finish what he started in you if you're a Christian? Why is there no fruit? Why is there no building materials? Why is you going to have nothing? You say, well, I'm a nice person. Nice won't cut it. It's whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If you don't build with gold, silver, precious stones, if you build wood, hay, stubble, junk, it's not going to survive the fire. Hebrews 5. This is not the only place that this is addressed. Now, if you say, well, I don't even know I'm here. None of this applies to me. That's okay. You're growing up. Good for you. But there's a lot of people who don't get this. And churches are filled with people who don't get it and have no interest in this. So this is not just for people in the room. It's for people beyond this room. You have to grow up. People are born physically. They grow up. They're born spiritually. They grow up. It's just what's supposed to happen. Hebrews 5, verse 11 I'm just jumping kind of here in the middle. He says, of whom we have much to say, hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe or an infant. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, now look, this is how you know it. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Why do little kids not get in as much trouble as young kids, as teenagers? There's a tremendous commercial somewhere on TV I've seen of two little boys in the shower covered in paint and just this total look of guilt. Their mom comes in with a video camera and goes, who did this? And the big brother looks at the little brother kind of in points like it was him like they had just you know who knows what they had ruined well they're not grounded you know they're not they're kids so you go okay it's kind of semi-cute and they did something silly something stupid and they're kids but when you grow up you have someone explaining to you like look this doesn't work you can't do these things anymore and this is why it is so frustrating when you see 16, 26, 36-year-olds who never launch, never grow up, never get it. Like, dude, you can't live this way anymore, and you can't live here anymore. You say, well, then how would I know if I'm a really mature Christian? Implicit even in this verse, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Previous verse, word of righteousness. So what happens to you when you read the scriptures? You say, Lord, teach me from your word. Feed me from your word. Then you start seeing what he says. This is going to work. This isn't going to work. Don't live this way. Live this way. Trust me. Follow me. Lose your life for my sake. You'll find it. Don't hold on to your life. You'll lose it. So you go, wow, I get it. I get it. If you're in the scriptures and you're marinating in that, that's what your life's going to taste like. That's what's going to manifest. So this isn't complicated. When I meet someone, it doesn't take long to spot a mature Christian because they live differently. They're just different people. Is that you? Does everybody at work know that's you? Man, he's a godly guy. She's one of the godliest, I mean, I don't even know what it is. Like something's different about that person. They just don't live like everybody else. We'll get back to Richard in a moment to close out today's talk. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to take the planet. 
So it's our prayer that these daily talks from Richard aren't something you only hear and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. Together, we can do this. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's such a priority to us. So join us in this important mission. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD to say you're in. Or you can get on board with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. Well, here's Richard with some closing thoughts for us. You know, I acknowledge it's intense. You go, man, it's like you're being too hard on us. I'm not being hard on you if you're a newborn making a mess, but enough already if you're not a newborn. Now, if you're not even a Christian, be a receiver, get your receiver, and get in on the process. And even if you're not an infant, what happens pretty quick? Two-year-old, what do two-year-olds say? I can do it by myself. <laughs> Try to help them. So what do you do then? You stand back and go, okay, knock yourself out. Stay close by, because you know what? They can't do it by themselves. And what do they finally say? Okay, will you help me? We all know this stuff. We just have to apply it spiritually to each other. And then there's a point where you sit down with someone, and I've done this with many people in this room and beyond, and say, you know what, dude? We're not doing this anymore. you got to grow up. You can't play these games anymore. Your life is never going to work until you get in the Scripture, talk to Him every day, walk with Him, get tuned in, listen, obey, let's do this. And sometimes you just need somebody coming alongside to kick you in the pants and say, okay, let's do this. Thanks for tuning in today to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.